Hello everybody and welcome to the Cana Rinse Podcast, Volume 3, Issue 124. You can play along with Cana Rinse Volume 3 and our next five issues are scheduled to be Super Mario Galaxy and its sequel, Super Mario Galaxy 2, then Portal, Metro Last Light, then it's the start of a Burnout Bonanza, Burnout and Burnout 2, Point of Impact in our first Burnout show, and then we return to Mushroom Kingdom for one podcast all about the new Super Mario Brothers series. Head to canonrince.com for the entire schedule, as well as our blog, which features reviews, articles, videos, and other features. Links to our forum, of course, merchandise stall, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and that YouTube. And as always, please try to remember to subscribe, review, and rate us on iTunes, no matter what country your, uh, your home iTunes store is. Thank you for listening. Now, joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, it's Tony Atkins. Hello. And James Carter. Hello. And Sean O'Brien. Hello, hello. And let's do the spoiler warning up front. Um, now, although this game is uh, very much upfront about what it's about, um, events happen, um, particularly regarding, I'd say, the, the, the conclusion, the denouement, that um, if you don't know and you want to go in blind, that we will talk about, and that is your warning. So, this game first was released on the PlayStation Network originally, um, back in August 2012, pretty much a year and a half ago. Um, and uh, James Carter, did you buy it and play it contemporaneously with its release, or was it a more recent thing? Uh, I, I was very contemporaneous. I, I remember rushing home uh, once. I, it, it was a time when it was kind of up in the air as to when the PSN store would update during yep, the day. Still is really, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. St- still kind of is. Um, mm. But um, but it certainly very much was then. I remember rushing home from. I nearly said school. I meant work. Um, <laughs> that at was, that, that point, was it was school. So, school. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I remember rushing home from from work and uh, and buying it and downloading it. And unfortunately, I didn't get to play it for a couple of days after that. But it, mm. it was, I think, the weekend after it came out that I got up at ridiculous o'clock in the morning. And uh, and played it, and that was a heck of a couple of hours uh, in the in the early hours of Saturday morning to, to okay. spend. So, yeah. um, yes, it's uh, it's it's not the longest game, as no doubt we'll talk about. Um, probably three hours ish, three to four maybe yeah, on your first playthrough. Yeah, yeah um, uh, I've been back to it this week, and um, I think it was even quicker. Although I had forgotten the solutions to a couple of the puzzles. Mm. James, have you have you had another playthrough since? Uh, not another full playthrough, but the checkpoint menus are really yeah. good for just dipping in and out and reminding myself of some of the the bigger areas and puzzles and and that kind of. Thing. I wish so. every game had those. Yeah, that sort of. Yeah, thing. for such yeah. a short game, it's got probably yeah, about sixty checkpoints, something like that. It's ridiculous. Quite a few, yeah, yeah. Five chapters each with four or five, maybe about yeah. thirty or something. Uh, yeah, I think there tends to be fewer towards the end because the the acts tend to sort of speed you towards the the, yeah. the end of the game. Uh, a maybe bit. there's one hat per. Checkpoint. Anyway, uh, right. So, Sean, what about mm. you? I um, I seem to remember hearing about it first when they were pushing it on their. I think it was in the PSM Play that year. Uh, their little like their version of the Summer of Arcade thing. Oh, yeah. That happens in the fall. Um, and that was where I first heard about it. And yeah, the idea of it really appealed to me. I you know looked into more of this Vander Caballero guy and. 
uh, heard his story a little bit. So that, you know, I was really interested in seeing how they were going to play all that out in the game. So yeah, I was day one, um, played through it for, it took me a couple days actually, cause I was taking it in small chunks. Um, and then I played through it again this week. Yeah. So too nice. Excellent. Cool. Tony Atkins. Um, <clears throat> I, I, it's one of those ones I actually remember hearing a lot on podcasts and people talking about mm. it and there being a little bit of excitement around it. Um, and I was a day one, but I actually took a, like a month or so to play it after buying yeah. it. Uh, some of that was interesting because there was, no doubt we'll talk about, there was one or two issues. And I think in the back of my mind, I was waiting maybe for a patch or something just to, to iron out some of those mm. complaints. But um, Never came, did it? I don't think. No. 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 I, mean, I found one of the, was the bugs that I had my first playthrough. I found it again today. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I was... I certainly was interested in it, and I was as, as interested in kind of the mixed reception and the kind of I don't want to say fallout, but the discussion that was being had around many aspects of the game. Um, so yeah, day one, but it took me a little while to get through it. But I've been back uh, again this time, and uh, yeah, interesting. I just sat down uh, late one night and, and played for it in one sitting, which is always interesting. I always enjoy that with a game, <laughs> just like hey, mm. okay, there's the start, there's the finish. Um, yeah, so that was uh, only a couple of days ago, so pretty fresh in the mind. Yeah, I can't exactly remember. I, I knew it was coming, and I knew there was a certain amount of interest around it. Um, I, I knew the basic concept. Uh, I think I probably bought it day one or, or the, soon thereafter, and I probably played it within the first week or two of it being on my PS3. Um, and yes, I've been back and played it in pretty much one sort of extended sitting with with uh, pauses. Uh, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this week um, and as I say it was uh, I remembered a lot of it very vividly obviously this is you know only a year and a half ago or so but sometimes games you remember games better than others um, mm. there were bits where I'd, that I'd completely forgotten other bits that mm. I'd totally remembered mm. um, and yes it's that weird thing where you know the basic you you know you've solved a puzzle before but almost the fact that you've solved it and then forgotten it it's can make solve it, solving <laughs> yeah. it again harder yeah. than, than going in with a fresh fresh mind but um yeah. So uh, I've often referred to it as Papo and Yo. Now it should always be said Papo e Yo, as in uh, and. Um, the thing is that it uses an ampersand in in script. So if, if you're an English speaker, I think it's perfectly okay to say Papo and Yo. Um, I'm sure Vanda Caballero. Um, wouldn't mind um, which of course translates to either quite properly father and I or probably more appropriately daddy and me um, and yeah that's that's every well everyone who read an interview with uh, Vanda Caballero going into this um, probably knew that this was a, a kind of autobiographical tale um, put by <coughs> put together with by him and his minority media team uh, about his childhood in Colombia um, Caballero left Colombia at the age of 18 I think he either went to the USA first or, or to Canada um, and uh, to basically to, to look for a, you know a better education or whatever from um, his relatively poor upbringing in uh, South America um, ended up working at uh, EA Montreal now before that uh, I noticed on his Giant Bomb CV he has a couple of Dukes of Hazard games <laughs> which were made by South Peak Interactive um, whether that's right or not I don't know um, but they're a, they were a USA based team but he certainly ended up at uh, Electronic Arts Montreal where he worked on uh, FIFA for a few years 2002 to 2004 when FIFA was 
widely regarded as pretty dreadful um, has to be said he worked on, on some Need for Speed games before that series kind of um, you know picked up again I guess you could say he worked on some uh, The Sims titles he worked did something on Spore um, he did some work on Boogie remember that and <laughs> uh, and perhaps most famously, uh, he worked on the first two Army of Two games, uh, mm-hmm. Army of Two and the 40th Day. Um, now, he left for um, to set up his own company, pretty much, Minority Media, with uh, Julien Barnois, or Barnois, Barnois, it must be Barnois, um, <laughs> uh, French-Canadian, I assume, uh, who also... Um, was the, he was one of the lead programmers on Army of Two, so he set up a you know in in that classic way that in in the modern way that um, people with a creative bent want to do get out of the the big money corporate system making mm-hmm. um, dude bro shooters and making games about uh, abusive fathers. That's you know <laughs> it's almost like a cliche, uh, but he certainly he did the interview circuit up in rereading a number of interviews that he did uh, around the time um the game was shown at E3 2011 I think and the uh the design for Monster or Papo as he's clearly referred to in the script although Monster in the uh sorry in the speech Monster on screen mm-hmm. um started off as a rather more uh, docile looking almost cute rhinoceros type mm-hmm. creature and and changed quite a lot um, in the mix before the final um, the final version who even when docile has a, a sort of threat about him fair to say yeah uh, I guess a, a bit like if you actually see a rhinoceros in real life there's not yeah. much cuddly about it especially <laughs> if you're standing anywhere close to it at the time um, it, yeah. it has that, that weight, that menace that threat obviously with a rather large um, horn on the front of its head um, yeah so, yeah. I've got I've got slightly ahead of myself here. Um, we, we'll come back onto Monster in a bit, but I just wanted to mm. also say, uh, for completion's sake, now I think we've we've all played the PS3 version and only the PS3 version. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, I own the PC uh, version, but oh, you um, do? Okay. Yeah, um, I so unfortunately we, haven't played it. <laughs> I know that sounds silly, but that's people's Steam's collection. It was just seemed yeah, right to yeah. give them some more money for a, a title that I liked. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were looking at the prices before before we started recording, and uh, the PSM version is currently uh, £6.49 in uh, England land. Um, <laughs> so I guess that's about €7, Euro, €8 Euros or something, and $10. Yeah. Um, but the Steam version is £11.99, uh, so it's almost twice the price. Yeah. Um, I'd be very interested to play it, because if there are issues with the... Um, the PlayStation 3 game they're quite similar to the ones we talked about with the PS3 version of uh, Brothers Tale of mm. Two Sons was in a recent podcast it's an Unreal Engine 3 game um, and it suffers with um, frame rate issues and tearing and juddering and various things like that um, and for me because of the content of the game um, it, it's not a deal breaker but I think it did that that technical side did cost it some points in review scores and as well as probably some of the jumping mechanics which we'll come on to and things like that but um i'd be really interested to play the pc version just as much as anything just to see the game at a much higher resolution mm. um because i think 
the the graphics aren't obviously overtly beautiful at first, but there are scenes that you could imagine mm-hmm. perhaps standing out a bit better with, uh, you know, with with extra PC niceness. But I don't know how much of a, you know, how much they've done with it, if anything, or whether it simply is far, you know, better, more consistent frame rate and and um, crisper textures or whatever. So that PC version arrived um, sometime later, uh, just under a year ago. Uh, April 2013, yeah. Yeah, um, and the Mac version, oh, and the Linux version, um, only arrived earlier this year. Uh, yeah, oh, part oh. of a Humble Bundle, so it may be that oh, a lot okay. of people mm. have picked it up by that. Hum- mm. Humble Bundle X, I think um, that was possibly, I may be misremembering, that was one where it was all games that were OS X and Linux compatible. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this could be a game where uh, a number of people listening sort of have it somewhere. I may not even know. That's how I not even it. know. <laughs> right, yeah, okay. But I, I, I always think um, it's interesting with the, the PC releases, and certainly Steam um, getting all the console games or console games from the you know, the previous year or so is because they they do tend to get a, a you know a little bit more buzz again talked about mm-hmm. I remember Papa and Yo becoming a bit more into you know the everyday gamer psyche again it seemed to reappear on a couple of podcasts and you know just just for a short even if it's a couple of weeks it, it came back into the kind of lexicon of discussion which I think in, for a game like that is very important if people have missed it mm. first time round um, you know it's a game that in many respects you know it used to be a bit kind of born out of PC and rather than you know born from consoles first so I think it's it's good good it's good that it's there and but the reason I didn't actually play it on the PC my second time was it it just felt very much like a a game to play at, kind of at the, on the couch and kind of away from kind of technology almost just you know lights off and I played it quite late at night and it just it seemed a more pr- appropriate place and I don't know why but well, for me it's just like I don't, I don't want to be sitting on my PC and kind of yeah. the, the atmosphere wasn't quite right oh, very odd in- interestingly Vander Caballero in, in an interview I was watching on YouTube um, earlier on today um, was asked why he he put it on PlayStation and he said that he wanted a, f- a feel of a bigger game by having it on a console mm. rather than mm. having it be thought of as a small indie game <laughs> that was amongst the the smaller indie games that come to to PC only. That's, that um, certainly was something I think from the past where people would you know if you were made it on the console you were this big kind of trip away. Yeah, less yeah. so now. There's a lot of stuff. I think perceptions change yeah. both in both directions. In that you know some uh, in really important PC games are things that people would pigeonhole yeah. as indie even though they're often yeah. not like yeah, like brothers it's not an indie game it's by you know well yeah. i suppose you could say it's no more indie than anything else mm-hmm. but uh, and similarly yes because the consoles have to some extent with you know with hiccups along the way stores. embraced indies yeah. <coughs> um yeah but you can totally see where he was coming from sure. with that especially going especially back given his four or five years well. ago yeah. and that yeah yeah i, I, I don't I don't mean to, this to sound as cynical as it might sound, but it's gonna. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they, it, it was also a pub fund game, Sony pub fund game, so I'm sure that also yeah. kind of helped a little bit. They gave him yeah. like oh. a few extra couple. I think he said originally, or that in the end, it ended up being a, a, the budget was around a million dollars. So mm. um, yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure that kind of yeah. He mentioned that as well. He said um, it, because because he got funding from Canadian media funding from from the Canadian mm-hmm. government um, yep. that meant that he could then go to Sony uh, through their pub fund scheme and and because there was a reduced risk on them providing funding for the game having right. already secured Canadian uh, governmental funds that the, they were able to, to uh, hash out a deal for for some more money on top of that so yeah so back to um, 
van der Caballero's uh, work at EA Montreal. Now, um, interestingly, uh, Kotaku spoke to his sister. Now, I don't know how to pronounce this name. She's obviously also Colombian. Is it Mahadli? It's spelt Magadli, but I assume not said that way. Um, but she uh, she spoke of uh, the effect that him working on this uh, this very personal game, obviously, which just kind of includes uh, not her exactly, but uh, some sort of cipher for his sisters. Um, but he, she said in this interview that when when Vanda was making games like Army of Two, he, uh, she said, "I felt Vanda was reenacting the discomfort he lived with in our family by doing violent games." Now, that's just her interpretation. She could be completely wrong, but um, but it's an interesting observation from someone very close to him. Giant Bomb uh, asked. Vander Caballero himself um, this question you don't often hear games de- game designers specifically reference or talk about personal experiences when describing inspiration for their games let alone personal trauma what led you to the point where you decided that you wanted to make a game about something so specifically personal uh, and he says it was my love for games I think when I was a kid and going through difficult times games actually saved me it was the only space where I could be in control and experience safety and predictability in a way everything outside was crazy and I'm sure that that sentiment is something that a lot of our listeners a lot of gamers I know a lot of people who took to video games um, back in I think maybe this will change a bit now that gaming is so such a thing for everybody but certainly a lot of the people I know who really took to video games in a big way back in the 80s were um, not exclusively of course plenty of them had you know perfectly <laughs> excellent um, idyllic uh, lives growing up but certainly some of the people I know who got the most into it probably had you know broken homes dysfunctional families and that sort of thing um, so yeah we haven't actually directly said but anyone who'd read anything or seen anything about this game it is completely upfront. it even says the opening of the game uh, it has a black screen with text on saying to my mother brothers and sisters with whom I survived the monster in my father and you know this is there's absolutely no subtlety about the metaphor here this is this is a kid and his uh, sometimes monstrous father um, now uh, we one thing that yeah we should probably ask uh, is do you think do we think that the reason we've not had a huge amount of feedback for this which again you know it's not scientific sometimes you know our forums less busy for whatever reasons or people aren't at twitter for whatever reason but compared to brothers you know which is a similarly short and uh you know emotion-led game um that we talked about a couple of weeks ago we had uh, a ton of feedback for that anything in the idea that actually the kind of the darkness and the seriousness and the fact that minority was so upfront about what this game was about alcoholism and an abusive father that some people were put off playing it yeah yeah i i think there's there's potentially a lot of factors and and it would be easy to start listing factors that may have been contributory to perhaps this game, maybe not so many people playing it or those who did play it not necessarily having so much they wanted to say about it um, in in all honesty that's guesswork and maybe we shouldn't because that might not be true in that's it, the scale, yeah, speculation it? Yeah. I suppose 
Um, but certainly, I was just wondering when you read out the the, the sort of um, immediate uh, after the title card, if you like, uh, the the quote, the um, uh, I guess uh, just having that on the screen to, um, to as as an opening to the game. I did wonder if that hadn't been there and yeah, all of the discussion about what the game meant to uh, beforehand. I mean, I, I went into this knowing exactly what this game was about and the fact that it was autobiographical, mm. which meant that it wasn't much of a reach to see the metaphors that were presented I, and to I'm, see the different ways they all blended together. I wonder if it might have... How it would have changed had that not been there and and we all discovered it for ourselves? I think we'd have all come to the same conclusion of, as to what the game was about, but we wouldn't maybe have been led by the nose to it. And I think possibly it... it yeah, it set some people up for ex- expecting certain things from it. Or I, I'm not I sure um, that the the note really would. I, I can't see somebody putting down whatever that six to twelve pounds for this game, firing up, having that note on the screen, and going, "Well, that's not the game for me," and putting it down. I just, I just don't. Yeah, maybe if it's one of the games that you get in a humble bun, bundle, and hmm. you know, you're not sure what you. It's just one of the ones that come with that, and you just fire it. I'm go, "Well, I'm not. I don't want that." But I, I think most people have a. A, yeah, announced to them that they know what they're getting into, and yeah, it, it was very upfront. I mean, everyone was very upfront about this, and I, and I do wonder why that was. I, and I think it, it has weirdly, it has some interesting effects in the actual game itself because they, at, right at the start, they say, "Okay, this is you know, a, about the tough times I had with my father," and the game begins. But I feel like if, if that note wasn't on the screen, the game kind of it, it takes a little while to to get to that point like mm. you you could mm-hmm. spend yeah. have have a little bit of faith in in the player to to kind of work out what this is about cuz they don't really hide it but certainly i think for the first half of the game it's it's quite i don't know what the word is Ambiguous. but it's not in your face yeah it's yeah. it's it's kind of hidden away it's a little bit, like who, yeah. What, yeah. yeah, more yeah. subtle. What, what is who is the monster? What is this monster? Is it just mm. a plaything? Um and but that's at odds with the front of the game being very much like oh well, this is the story like I think mm-hmm. I think the game reaches that point and it's very clear I mean just at the end it's it's yes. almost a bit too clear it's it's like well, this was the st- and I I know that's the story because you you told me at the very start well, this is the story mm. so at times it, it it almost goes a bit too far in in that respect so I, I wonder if they just took that off the front and just let the players work that out whether the slightly less in your face uh, at times would have been slightly more beneficial to it. At the same time, it didn't bother me, but I don't. Yeah, you know, I don't know if anyone buys it and decides not not to play it. But mm. I think the he obviously wanted the certainly aimed yeah. very much squarely at this. Yeah, absolutely. If if you watch the the live action uh, or semi live action um, trailer uh, that came out, I noticed today how few views it has on video uh, on YouTube. Mm. But it's it it is pretty much there is a live action sequence with a kid playing the kid and. Uh, a guy playing the dad, and he's ra- you know he's raging around drunk, and it actually segues from the real world into the imagination world via the chalk doors type thing, and and it's yeah, there's just absolutely no ambi- ambiguity whatsoever, and and but in a way, I'm 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 cool with that. It yeah. might have been more intriguing, but actually, he's just said no. This is the story I want to tell, and yeah. and here it is. And if you're interested, then then here we go. But I also take the point that he could have put. He obviously wanted to put that dedication on there yeah. it was important to him he could have put it at the end it could have been the last caption that came up you know or something mm. like that but um, 
maybe that would have been more touching even i don't know uh, just to jump in on that the whole it's subtlety thing like i i, I mean mm. I, we kind of see this in like all forms of art you know in movies and books like some artists uh just don't care about being like subtle or clever like they that this is his personal story you know like maybe he just he didn't care whether or not the metaphor was deep for you you know yeah like maybe, yeah. I, I could it could be wrong, but like I just I, I kind of like it's this just, just right in your face. Yeah. The the first half of the game could play out either way, really. Like it, it didn't hurt knowing exactly what sure, what the story yeah. was about. At the same time, the yeah. game wasn't very much in your face at that at that point, and at the halfway point, it becomes very clear what yeah, this is about. And end, by the end, yeah. it's very obvious. But you sure. know, I do wonder. Uh, it would be interesting to give the game to somebody who knew nothing about mm, yeah. it. And yeah. and to see well, and maybe even skip front. past yeah. that caption, but I mean, or even even then, the opening cutscene is sure, is the boy yeah. cowering mm-hmm. in a in a closet. If you if you ha- if you started with him emerging in the fantasy world uh, or the the hybrid fantasy world, I think that would just be maybe it wouldn't maybe it'd be too ambiguous um yeah. you know but the time you've got the point you know it's like well you know okay so this this monster's addicted to frogs or whatever <laughs> you know and they make it yet they yet they make him cross i don't know maybe maybe he maybe he felt that people would miss the maybe point and then he, he would have he would have failed so interestingly um he talked uh, again in this giant bomb interview about how to make how to tell such a story without basically without putting people off without upsetting them um, and uh, he talked about Finding Nemo and how, you know, what a dark story that is, but mm. told in such a way that it's one of children, you know, favorite children's films <laughs> ever made. Yeah. Um, but actually, it's full of, mm. you know, strife and trauma and tragedy. Um, Van der said, I had a, a mentor, uh, Nilo Rodis. Again, I don't know the pronunciation. Um, who worked on Star Wars and has worked with Pixar? He taught me a lot about how you have to find the right metaphor to tell your story and not freak people out. And I think that the magic part that we have to learn in this industry is how we how we have to find these metaphors that are meaningful to bring the real human story out there. It's really hard, but I've learned, and I hope I can do this many times. Um, yeah, I think the the stronger, uh, obviously if for him Finding Nemo was, was a reference point, but for me the stronger reference point and, and much more direct in, in the same spirit is Pan's Labyrinth. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. A lot of direct relationships between the two, I, th- I think. Um, in, in yeah, it was one of the, the first things I thought when I first played it. It was yeah. one of the first notes I wrote down for this podcast. I mean, literally... Um, she draws a chalk door mm-hmm. into yeah. a fantasy world in Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, yeah. You know, she yeah. she is escaping the horrors of the Spanish Civil War yeah. and the awful situation that's on around her. And uh, I'm sure it was an, Im- although he doesn't mention it in the interviews I've read, I'm sure that Guillermo del Toro's uh, Pan's Labyrinth must mm-hmm. be an influence on this. Mm-hmm. So yes, uh, that opening we we open on the boy. So. Although this is obviously, uh, you know, closely autobiographical, it's interesting that the boy is black or mixed race. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's, he's shown as mixed race in the live action advert. Yeah. His father's white. Um, and Caballero is, uh, you know, he looks South American, but he's white. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what the, that choice was about. Um, but it's interesting, nonetheless, that he didn't want to make it so absolutely, you know, this is me. I am in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to create. He wanted to make, for some reason, there's some separation Distance. between yeah, there's, there's Quico, Quico and, and him. Yeah. 
Um, well, and also uh, certainly for for uh, Western audiences, um, you know, America and Europe and that kind of thing, um, the favela setting is something we think of as typically Brazilian rather than mm, Colombian. Yes. Now, obviously, yes. that's perhaps our perception rather than the yeah. reality. But yeah, yeah, I definitely. think there perhaps is a divide there that, um, mm. that again changes who that character is in the setting, but it's still obviously telling the, the same story. Mm. Maybe more, in, it just makes it a more uh, more of a parable than than necessarily a, a direct autobiographical retelling. Yeah, my assumption was Brazil from the start. Yeah. I I knew the I knew the guy's name Vanda Caballero, but I, so you know as I didn't that didn't say to me that he's definitely uh, from any you know any one particular um, South American country. Sure. Not being that savvy about that stuff, or may, maybe maybe you can't tell me. No, no, they you know they speak some of them speak Spanish, some of them speak Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw somebody mentioned somewhere that they thought he was Venezuelan, but I don't think that's true. I believe the Brian Oliveira, the the composer, mm-hmm. is Venezuelan. Um, and there's some lyrics in the in the closing song, which we'll close this podcast with, which seem to be. Uh, in a in a comment I found on YouTube, which purports to be from Oliveira, he says that it's the the words are of a particular Brazilian dialect of Portuguese, but there are other people actually saying no, it's that's not true, it's just <laughs> nonsense. So the only words that you can pick out seemingly are uh, basically uh, ammo. Uh, Amo something, Amo a papa, is it? Um, I love my daddy, basically. Um, but the rest of it, uh, yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Um, it certainly has a South American feel about it. It's clearly region, South America. Yeah. Yes, that much, that much, you, that yeah. much we do know. Um, and yes, so he he goes out. Seemingly, he goes outside, but he goes outside via this sort of ch- chalky white portal, um, and. Uh, fairly quickly um, you run into uh, a girl who is unnamed, you don't know exactly what her role is but she is both kind of enticing you um, and also running away from you because she says you're cursed Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, you find out she's later in the credits only I think that she's called Alejandra Um, but there are events that imply that she is, as, as I sort of said earlier some sort of cipher for his sister right. or sisters yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah is that is that how you the, you, you fellows saw it well i didn't i actually didn't pick that up until the second playthrough um yeah i didn't even yeah. think about it in the first one but yeah definitely in the second one i could tell especially at the not to jump too far ahead but at the end with those four pillars um yeah yeah it kind of brings it home there yeah that's right yeah yeah, yeah we'll, i think we'll for, for the largest part of the game or, or certainly for um especially when i saw the, the one of the sequences uh, with the car crash in it mm-hmm. um, I wasn't quite sure because I, I'd read somewhere afterwards after I played it first time and was looking back at it today um, I'd read that uh, perhaps uh, Vander's father's alcoholism started after that car crash, that was the inside yeah, incident yeah. but to me when I was yeah. playing it it seemed more like that was a result of his behaviour and Drunk driving, I, yeah. I, I took Alejandra to be a childhood friend who had been killed in that accident hmm. um, uh, oh, th- right. that's a very specific thing if that is the case I think uh, possibly it is supposed to be more metaphorical and, and sin- hmm. being his sister that would make more sense um, but obviously with the, the we've already given a spoiler warning with the monster actually killing Alejandra yeah. uh, hmm. at the end of act 4 that, it, that to me was the monster drunk at the wheel 
knocking over oh, perhaps childhood friend of obviously not mm. his sister because as you know mm. I don't know the full family history but um, no. as far as I know his sister is is yeah, yeah. alive, alive. And, and yeah. relatively yeah they, they also they also so, as far as I know um, th- that's what I read from it but obviously that uh, who knows I, I think uh, perhaps a more metaphorical reading is the safer one so yeah I certainly felt that it was his sister. Not not right at the very the first couple of chapters, but as as you progress further into the game, yeah. I, I certainly felt because she becomes more warm towards him, um, and as he kind of grows into his his own kind of manhood, um, mm. yeah, doing you know, that superb kind of end sequence with with her involved, it it felt like you know she definitely had a more personal attachment than just friends, but um, I, I guess now I, I, I mean, is it open to interpretation? I haven't. Done well, enough the, reading. There's, I just actually now remembered uh, while we're sitting and talking about it. There's that part where you revive um, Lula, and that's mm-hmm. when he, uh, Kiko gets the f- uh, face paint and the body paint, and mm-hmm. she says, mm-hmm. "Actually, this is like you and I are the same." Um, yeah. So I guess that that actually also kind of hammers it home. Yeah, for the yeah. for the longest yeah. time as well with, with Luna, the the doll, I was I was trying to put something rather than it just being you know the. The doll that he, had, what doll? I don't know. The robot that he had a toy robot. Toy robot. That, that is what it is. Yep. It is his toy robot. Yeah, yeah, and it is. I mean, certainly the second playthrough because he, he has it at the very opening scene, which I had obviously forgotten. Um, yeah. And he's like, I, I, but for the for the life of me, for the most of the game, I was thinking, well, what's what's that? Meant what's that represent? What's that yeah. Yeah. No, it represents his toy robot. It, yeah. it literally yeah. is. Uh, it is for, yeah. for a child. Yeah, for a child yeah. who's feeling lonely, despite having siblings. For a child who's feeling lonely, that toy becomes you, you know. There's an anthropomorphization mm-hmm. that goes yeah, on and, and becomes someone to relate to. God, if, um, if you'd seen my girls, if they're they're each their own personal little you know cuddly yeah. toys. Incredible! <laughs> yeah. the, the attachment. Yeah, they're only seventeen months old, and you try taking that yeah. thing away from them. <laughs> yeah. But that's it. Yeah, those toys. Those toys have entire personalities yeah. to, oh, to a child, yeah. don't they? So you know, they, they they put a lot of themselves into into uh, such toys. So. I still do that, like with my car, my consoles. <laughs> Not yeah. with your toy robot, obviously. No, yeah, no. My, my bayonetta figure. Um, no, my my niece still has a yeah has a Tigger. She's now four or something, and yeah. she yeah she has her her Tigger that she's had since she was one or something that has to go everywhere. Yeah, it's it's quite normal. And uh, yeah, this yeah looks you know the the sort of the, this toy that you know I don't know whether you know in the real world if he had if he had a toy robot whether it was something that was actually you know we might recognise as, as a transformer or something. But in the game, it's kind of you know it's like generic toy robot mm-hmm. from from uh, you know from Backstreet uh, mm-hmm. you know toy store in in South America or whatever. Um, as regards to uh, Quico's name, uh, Caballero said Eco was a great inspiration for me. Yeah. Uh, Oeda San and uh, Team Eco told a beautiful story, a deep story, and they did it with mechanics. I learned a lot from that. How I can tell my story with mechanics. Um, and you were you mentioned the face paint and, mm-hmm. and stuff there and wh- one of the things I was going to uh, ask everyone for their interpretation about was the fact that he becomes more kind of feral naked as the game mm. goes on um, but actually uh, we don't need to <laughs> do our interpretation <laughs> because uh, Caballero actually explains this so it, you start off when he's hiding in the cupboard he's pretty much wearing his school uniform mm-hmm. smart blazer and a tie mm-hmm. Um, and as the game goes on, he f- loses first a shoe, then his blazer, um, and then eventually he's kind of running around bare top with kind of almost like a 
skeleton yeah. chalk paint on him and he's becoming more kind of yeah, more more tribal mm. but, um, but yeah so Caballero's explanation is that uh, character development in games is completely broken we usually start with a weak character and we power it up through the game by picking up weapons and armor that make it invincible however that's not how things work in real life if I tell my wife if I had a bazooka you would understand <laughs> chances are that won't solve my problem it might I'll probably create a new one <laughs> In real life, conflicts get resolved when we are most vulnerable and we are able to be empathic to others. That is the reason behind Quico gradually shedding his clothes. Quico becomes more vulnerable as the game progresses, losing every layer that shields him, leaving him naked and open to the world. Yeah, it, it's it's quite a strong visual um, yeah. symbol there uh, as well. You know, um, becoming more of just a. Although he's, he's supposed to be growing up throughout the game, um, he's, he's actually finding himself more and more. Obviously, when you're in a school uniform, um, that's actually a lot about uh, equalising things and, and yeah. not making mm-hmm. someone an individual, making everyone part of, of, of a group and, and mm. removing those differences, um, particularly in schools, obviously, to avoid bullying and that kind of thing, um, but also to put an order to things, whereas by the end of the game, he's finding his own uh, his own personality and uh, through all the trials and tribulations that, that Kiko has experienced and yeah, yeah I, I I certainly saw it at the end um that it the, the paint was him just ex- externalizing his um own feelings and, and and using them as a a weapon towards his father rather than just mm. you know it's just being war paint it was just you know it was part of him becomes you know that's that's the war paint on him mm. that it, you know it's now on the outside and he can use it as as something to um you know you know Ultimately, yeah. beat his father. In, as weird as that sounds, but you know, just to to have that stuff not bottled inside anymore, it's very much a part of him, mm. rather than just being kept inside and you know a horrible thing to to regress to. Yeah, because he gets it. Yeah. Like we were set, like I said earlier, we were, um, he gets it right after he revives uh, Lula, which mm-hmm. monster killed. So it's kind of like he can he can fix these things that his father destroyed as long as he tries. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a great metaphor. Mm. Except Alejandro. <laughs> mm. That's true, Which true. brings us on to Monster, or Papo. Um, so, again, uh, when you first see him, um, he's actually kind of benign. Although, I think the, he's, he's foreshadowed by a slightly uh, sinister moment when you're running along a pipe. Yeah. I think that's when you mm-hmm. first see him, and there's a sort of shadow and a grunting, and... There's a general sense that... Yeah, at the end of Act uh, 1, I think that is, yeah. Yeah. Um, But actually, when you first see him, he's this lumbering, pink, bipedal, relatively docile-looking thing. Mm. Um, And in fact, when you first walk up to him, he's fast asleep, and you can bounce on his tummy. (laughs) Um, and it, and it's you know it's actually quite sweet and and it could be like those you know that the, that footage that we've all seen of the Last Guardian. You could imagine it being that sort of a game mm-hmm. where actually your your giant monster companion is your essential symbiotic buddy, almost like in Brothers, where you need to and it kind of is because a lot of the puzzles will come onto the actual game, the mechanics. Um, you you absolutely need him. Um, that- uh, which is interesting in itself. Another phrase which I, I I didn't pick up in the game, but I you know looking through different people's opinions on it, this came up in one of the reviews, which is he he's a burden, and I hadn't really pieced that together. Mm. But it, you know yeah, as when you're you're 
performing the puzzles. You you do need him, but you're also trying to quite often lure him with with fruit, and sometimes that doesn't work out. Other times he does. You know, it's not bad AI. It's just that you've either messed up a puzzle or you've not picked up enough fruit or the trail's not quite there. Um, and yeah, it, I can see that that he's a. You, if in real life you were trying to lead him somewhere, just trying to get him to do something, and ultimately, you know, he's a burden to your life. Um, I, I thought that was really quite interesting. Like, I, I'm thinking if I went back into playing the game and, and saw it from that point of view, rather than just him as a puzzle solver at that point, it, it'd probably have a bit more impact as well. The uh, the names it's, of the acts actually describe uh, the various different stages of how you're supposed to be relating to monster throughout mm. the game so discovery the first one because by the end of act one you've actually seen the shadow of of mm-hmm. monster and then protection friendship anger liberation uh, which which describes what the player should be experiencing throughout the game as well but that's also it, it's indicative of the different relationship um, mechanisms that are going on between Kiko and, and the monster throughout the game um, it very much starts off as as they're protecting one another, actually, um, you know, they're they're helping one another get through the 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 world that they've got to traverse, um, and then the, the friendship stage is, is is that stage that that must be incredibly traumatic for for uh, Vander and his family to think of, which is that when the relationship was going well, uh, Monster was was a great friend to to Kiko, but. Obviously, Act Four is is anger, and, and Monster spends a great deal of Act Four uh, basically in flames uh, as a very intimidating um, creature, mm. and and then liberation, obviously being the 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 very uh, strong metaphor of, of rising up through the gondola and, and rising above the situation, making sense of it, and resolving at the end. So, um, yeah, yeah, interesting that they put they put those act names out there, sort of front and center as well, to kind of lead the player yeah. a bit as well. Yeah, we mentioned earlier that um, an earlier version of Monster Papo um, was uh, was perhaps not intimidating enough. He had kind of um, you know sort of big eyes, and he looked more. Just the fact that he looked more like a rhinoceros made him more familiar, even though we know that rhinos are one of the most dangerous <laughs> animals in the world. Um, we see them, you know, we see them on nature documentaries and in zoos and, and they're, you know, safari parks and they're cool, you know. Um, so the the final facial design um, and and its stance as well changed a lot to a, a lot more hunched and stuff and it goes mm. quadrupedal when, when, it's, when it's angry. But just the the face of it the eyes got a lot smaller and i would say the head if 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 anything kind of resembles more like perhaps one of the dragon designs from panzer dragoon saga or something <laughs> like that it's got sort of bladish sort of almost instead of a horn it's got like a it, almost like you, a reverse fin um, this, this is quite hard for me to talk about i mean i, I had a, a fairly decent relationship with my father you know they're, they're, like mm. everybody there was moments <laughs> i'm sure everyone has sure, that of course, but yeah. there was moments but mm. i mean i I guess, from my point of view, if, if you had made um, the monster more cuddly and then him turning into very much the monster, that that mm. may have been a bit too much of a, a you know a jarring for anybody to mm. deal with. Because I, I had that general feeling that if you're in a relationship with somebody that that has those issues that are going on, I, I don't mm. think it's quite as black as white. Today is absolutely happy. No. I think there's always that underlying threat that there's yeah. there's something that may cause this person to whether it be alcohol or whatever it may be it may be something different to that situation but you're never you're always I know know people in real life where I'm always 
slightly wary around them because I know they have a, a slight temper to them. Hair trigger. A hair tr- and, you don't, and it could be the yeah. weirdest thing that sets that off. So I think it's never, yeah. oh, well, they're the most lovely person. Oh, my God, they've got a really bad temper, but they're back to being a lovely person. I think there's always yeah. that slight bit to mm-hmm. them. And I think having the monster as somebody, even when they're passive and you have that fruit and you're leading them somewhere, the fact that they tower out of you and they got that squinty, the squinty eye, I always felt like, yeah, if a frog jumped out at this point and it grabs that, then you know, I'm. Yeah, it's the journey between passive to aggressive is you know a, a lot shorter that fuse rather than being a, yeah, yeah. a lot longer fuse for it to get there. But yeah. that, I mean, it's, it's odd for me because I, I don't have that relationship um, with my father. Yeah. So it, it, from it's interesting from my point of view um, because in the game um monster only gets really mad when he eats a frog mm. uh, which is obviously taking a drink now obviously that is right for a lot of people um there are some people out there who are completely on top of things and all the things that they're suppressing i think is is what usually happens um frustrations with the world and and finding mm-hmm. you know being a parent or whatever difficult comes flooding out when the inhibitions are lowered with the alcohol um I've always been uh, well I haven't had a drink for many years now but I was always mm-hmm. kind of more of a happy drunk um, now I ha- I did have issues with my father and I haven't had a relationship with him since I was 14 but it wasn't that he was um, although he, he was a drinker and he had bipolar disorder um, some of which I've inherited um, he was more of a passive aggressive character so he never physically abused me but it was more um more insidious than that it would be more emotional abuse and that's kind of um i i guess the the bit where i i sort of empathized with quico the most um was the bit where he kind of is there's a section where he's I, i guess it's always the case but there's one particular section where he's just trying to get stuff done and that releases the frogs and that's that makes papo monster mad it's not so some point even though this area is you know this world is is happening largely in his imagination on some level he is feeling responsible for monster getting angry and then and then beating him throwing him around or or whatever yeah definitely the 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 idea in those sections is very much to um to show cause and response but to to try and uh, demonstrate that kiko would feel guilt at having uh, having been responsible for that and and not for putting himself in danger but for uh bringing about that change in in monster in his in his father, um, and and knowing that although he may have had no choice in doing what he did, that 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 caused the frogs to arrive, which caused you know, and seeing that you know if you just stopped doing what you were doing, maybe it wouldn't have happened, and that longing for for going back and undoing what you might have have inadvertently done. Now I would have found it probably more affecting and more you know more of a uh, something I could empathise with if monster just suddenly and randomly turned into an ass yeah. <laughs> like it didn't there was no there was no frog trigger it was just like you know just random things seemingly things that i couldn't detect or understand but obviously that wouldn't make for very satisfying gameplay no, but sure. did i think one th- issue perhaps i had with the depiction of monster was that you know when when he get when he gets angry when he takes a eats a frog takes a drink the sky darkens and reddens and you know he starts stomping around and it is intimidating mm-hmm. but and because this is a sort of I, I've, I'm going to contradict contradict myself because if they had done 
done it so that when he caught you it was properly punishing mm. I probably would have found the game <laughs> the video game a lot more interesting uh, sorry a lot more frustrating mm-hmm. yeah correct myself however the fact that really all he did was kind of throw you about it, there was no you know I, re- I realize it's metaphorical and and I understand that but the actual you never see anything in a way that's as brutal as a man beating his boy you know it's it's like he, th- he throws you up in the air and you land but you're basically fine and if you ever fall off anything you just reset to the start do you think was there some way of finding it finding the balance so that he was more terrifying without breaking the game well, uh, for me I thought it was still pretty terrifying not so much because of monster but because of that s- the couple sounds that Kiko makes when he gets caught like the mm. like in, in most um uh, games or movies or whatever that uh, where a kid gets hurt, he's he's the kid actor, child actor, will kind of go ah, you know, like something real like yeah. weak, you know, or or, or just yeah. not very convincing. But the, I don't know something about the screams in this kid like really sounded like someone getting, you know, knocked over or or you know mm. brutalized or something like that. And that for me that was actually pretty powerful. I get what you're saying though. There's no real, there's no real fail state at all to kind of yeah. bring any consequence. I've to never it. let it go on, you know, for more than. Like one sure, the, yeah. I mean, it's got it's got one of the cardinal sins of gaming. Once something I absolutely hate, that it is possible sometimes to get trapped well, in a in a short loop of being thrown around, yeah. and I should I should loathe that. But actually, it still doesn't feel like enough punishment. Well, that, but interestingly, I, I did get caught in in one of those like in a corner where yeah. I kept getting thrown and it'd hit a wall and I'd come back down there just within his reach again. And actually, I found that to be pretty powerful because I. I, I couldn't control that situation. Like every other time, I'd managed to to back my yeah you know, okay get hit thrown and back myself away from that and ultimately yeah. calm the situation down. Now you know you could almost class it as a bug, but I actually found it quite interesting when I got trapped in a corner and you know for mm. the best part of what seemed like thirty seconds, I was in mm. that infinite loop and I couldn't escape his wrath. Yeah, it wasn't infinite though. Presumably, you did bounce. Yeah, out I did, eventually, I did yeah. bounce out. But it, you know, yeah. just being in that situation where I, was, I couldn't get out of his grasp, I could. And if, if I mean, if, once again, if you put in, you know, the sense of what this is about, yeah, you know, I could imagine you know, a small boy being trapped in a corner and ultimately having no escape. And I, you know, that's weird, yeah, horrific, you know, weirdly quite powerful. And but in this, you've got no health bar. No, nah, there is no fail state. But it is no, annoying if you fall off a platform and you get thrown and you have to run backwards and forwards to kind of avoid him but annoying doesn't really no, cut it when I, you're maybe. trying to get across well, uh, uh, so, so I think, there's, I think there's two things about this uh, the first one is, is sort of within the context of the game um, and that is for me what's happening in the game isn't what's really happening in life that's what Kiko is imagining to mm-hmm. deal with what is going on so yeah, although he's just being bounced around um that's what he is is telling himself is happening that he's not being hurt he's not being injured when actually yeah. what is happening is that he very much is being hurt and injured and emotionally uh, and physically potentially uh, quite damaged yeah. um, but in his world that he has created this magical world he all he is is just bounced around and he's fine and he just gets up and it's you know dusts himself yeah. off and he's off again um I'm I'm affording the game that that reasoning mm. i realize that that that's just my no, spin like on it, it to to, yeah. to to deal with the mechanics. In terms of outside of the game, um, uh, Van der Caballero in, in one of the interviews uh, said that originally the puzzles were 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 quite a bit tougher, um, mm. and what he found that he he needed to reduce the challenge of the puzzles. 
so mm. that players, and particularly to do with the puzzles, wouldn't feel stupid. If they felt stupid, they gave up on the game after 20 minutes. They just yeah. didn't stick with it. The, the emotional narrative side of it wasn't wasn't dragging them through and he wanted to make sure people got that side of it so what he said was he made sure that both experimental so just trying various different things and also considered approaches to the puzzles would work and ultimately you would just get through them you know just by trying stuff and it is quite a linear game in that respect much more so than you would maybe expect a a puzzle platformer to be it's usually quite obvious what you're supposed to be doing next Um, so I think that kind of speaks to why having more punishment or, or fail states or, or whatever it might be may have also been in, in mind to, to be removed mm. from the game simply to not frustrate the player. And and that that's where this game does take a step more towards the interactive experience side of things perhaps than the the, the challenging side of, of things because it, it is relatively linear. It, it, aside from the odd puzzle here and there where you have to kind of walk around and work out what's going on, often there is a chalk line and you just follow that to wherever there is a switch or something and, and you just run around the environment. You will find what you need to do without mm. too much hassle, which is why most people will find it takes three to four hours to, to beat because there isn't much to extend the length beyond that necessarily yeah. for a single playthrough. Um, anyway, uh, rambling, but that that was my two ideas on why perhaps... Uh, mm. Although aesthetically and in terms of the the sound and, and what's going on around you, it is quite terrifying. And I was always wary of monster. Actually, you're right in terms of gameplay. There isn't much in terms of uh, punishment for to, to fear. Uh, well, the worst know, thing so. he does does is he he fills the screen yeah. and blocks off. You know, there's, there's issues with the camera. Um, so actually, and the frame rate on the PS3 version slows right down. Mm-hmm. And, and and that that again can kind of take you at the moment when you're. I, I'm not somebody who obsesses about frame rates and stuff. Please, you know, don't don't get me wrong on that. But it when it changes so obviously and and slows down and you can't see your character yeah. any longer when you need to be running away from this monster because yeah. the monsters filling the screen. These are kind of little refinements that perhaps it's, you know in a game that had been in development for longer mm-hmm. might have solved yeah it's, it's interesting to be sidetracked by you know technical issues of a game something we're having you know a fairly deep conversation about <laughs> emotions but i it, it didn't actually put me off. i this time through i didn't have any bugs the first time through but second time through i i did have a couple one being where you're on that football field and you have to lower that the door by yeah. giving the fr- frogs through the pipe um and mm. then this kind of door eventually opens up the you know the more you do i had that get in a weird sound loop and just get completely stark and oh, really um yeah, in the end i had to completely reset the chapter go back a you know a chapter yeah. um and, and get the thing on but at, at the time i like first i knew something was wrong this time through because i'd done it the previous time but you know it was yeah. almost like well am i doing the puzzle there's very little i guess no bug there should be any indication there's a bug but uh, yeah i spent a good kind of five minutes even now going that's not right something's wrong um, and stuff like that is a shame because if that was my first time through, I may have got there and just come. Well, I don't. I just do not get this puzzle. <laughs> that makes no sense. Yeah. And purely because the game had glitched out at that point um, and was preventing me, even though I did the puzzle correctly, moving forward. Um, so that's a shame. And hopefully, it is one of the things that's been fixed on the PC. I had a similar experience. Um, obviously, I played this first originally, but we were talking about Brothers a couple of issues mm, ago yeah. and um, playing it again after Brothers. Uh, I had a, a similar sort of feeling overall about the puzzles uh, and the you know the actual challenges of the game yeah. in that none of them were hugely taxing. There were a couple, as I say, that I had actually I think I got more stuck on this time because I 
known them and then forgotten them. Um, but there are a couple of little, uh, you know, little teasers in there. But more importantly, was that I found them pleasing to solve and yeah. um, and. But perhaps most importantly with with this game was some of the effects that you had on the world because it's your imagination, such as um, making sort of um, like uh, drums turn into flying birds or houses turn into funny walking things (laughs) and then making an enormous stack of bendy houses or bending the entire Mm. world around like like that that scene in Inception. Stuff like that is, is really memorable and makes it, quite unlike anything else I've played yeah. and that's a massive difference between uh, this game and Brothers I think um, you, you know uh, releasing the the um, the Griffin in, in Brothers um, I, I hope that's not ve- veering onto spoilers but th- there's a moment in Brothers where you do have an effect on uh, uh, other creatures in, in the world but uh, in in this game you're very much changing the world itself. It's not just a journey through this world. You're actually manipulating the world, and that's very much to do with the fantasy. Uh, and it is kind of a power fantasy, but um, I thought it was quite interesting to set it in, uh, set the game in a favela because those are sprawling and massive, and an individual person doesn't make a difference in a favela, really. Uh, um, and I, again, I hope I'm not offending anyone who who may have grown up in or or or. Uh, live in uh, a favela or that type of environment but, there's, there's the um, same thing Axation be put towards like big council estates and stuff like that you know huge amounts yeah, of houses yeah, and but th- it seems very much like uh, like those are, are resolute they do not change no matter uh, how much we may see them as a negative representation of, of, of what society has become um, no matter what any of us do that the favelas stay they are big they are sprawling they don't change Um uh, th- and, and what gives them life is is the people in in there, and, and they mm-hmm. do matter, and, and they do affect one another's lives. Uh, obviously, in, in this story, Kiko's life is negatively affected by one of the people very closest to him. So he he has this fantasy where, through chalk, he is able to affect the favela. He is able to change that that environment that he is in and that's that again is a metaphor for for him and his father he he doesn't feel like he's able to um to affect the monster but in the fantasy he can and and you get to the end and there's obviously a big uh, revelation about that at the end about whether or not he can really make a difference to monster and how he's going to have to deal with that character in order to for him to to uh to become the person he needs to be before we quickly move of of gameplay, it's interesting because playing this game almost back to back with with brothers, um, and for for anybody that's listened to the brother show, you know, I, I had a, a, a fairly kind of long talk about how you know I, I really liked the story in that, but I felt like the mechanics could have been so much stronger. Um, and it's I mean listening back to that show, I, I'm not sure I ever really got my point across, and and I really think actually Pepper and Yo addresses that. Well, I think what I was trying to hit was. You know, the story in Brothers was was fantastic, and there was moments that were really quite powerful. But the gameplay never really synced that stuff together. It was just too never really in danger. It's just the two boys' journeys, um, and it seemed very easy just to move through the environment, and there was no real danger to the boys themselves. Thus, you know, a lot of the the connections to the boys I felt like could have been more if they were in maybe slightly more peril. And I feel like Paperino, although you know the peril aspect wasn't there, and the puzzles are very similar in fact to, towards brothers it's just that it being a fantasy world and me changing the world and I felt like I had a lot more 
interesting control of the environment even if the puzzles weren't complex I still felt that the environment was talking back to me um, yeah. and the fancy the fanciful elements so the you know the pulling of you know string cords and, and staircases to, to pull them up or the, you know to fold houses yeah. down on top of each other yeah. or, uh, or that bendy house thing all that stuff you know it's it's simple gameplay and it's not very challenging at all but there's an imagination there that goes beyond just being you know push pull type puzzles it, it's it's very much you know create something and then interact with something rather than just be guided through a story and although there's not a lot of, of you would say complex puzzles I, I felt certainly more mentally um challenged and um you know i think the outcomes it was speaking to me I, I think a lot of that was just because the way they looked and the fantasy world but there there was a lot more to it than than just being guided and i, and I think a lot of people have just said oh it's just you know it's it's just a story and i, and I, I think that's really harsh on the game yeah the imagination yeah. that you're talking about actually is uh what kind of kept me interested in the way the game looks because other than mm-hmm. that i think the visuals are actually kind of flat um like i i don't think the characters are actually I know it's an indie game made by like you know, what twenty people at most maybe, um, but I think they save it by having all this imagination around and have it twisting the world and everything like that. So I'm really glad that they went. They pretty much went like all out, especially towards the end where it's just it's almost like a surreal painting that you're mm, walking around. Game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just it, I'm glad all that stuff was in there. It really helped save it for me. Yeah. Actually, one of the most striking things about the game for me as a whole is although I, I agree that overall the visuals aren't you know they're not you know they're not sort of naughty dog standard or something um, there are a couple of things where I, I, they obviously spent a lot they did a lot of work on um, monsters texture mm-hmm. he's got a very very cool skin texture but for me the the most striking thing is the the sort of um, the the chalky substance that's revealed kind of under the world when um, you know mm, the blocks yeah, that he yeah. uses. Um, although you know it, there seems to be a link because um, both Alejandro and Quico used chalk to um, open doors and things like that. This substance has more has more qualities than just chalk. It, it's glittery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It looks yeah. some. It's almost crystalline or sandy. Um, but it, at points it could almost be ice and or even it could just be expanded polystyrene but yeah. it's got this yeah. it's got this weird ethereal quality to it mm. and the, those just those cubes that he he uses um to get across a gap which have kind of just a square of water floating on mm. the cubes yeah. like it it makes no sense but just somehow that really appeals to some part of my brain mm-hmm. and that the, the the further it seems like the further he gets into the game the more of the landscape is this white uh this yeah. white substance um and uh, he ends up you know, kind of fully interacting almost going into caves where it's all this white stuff and he's kind of um moving blocks around or right. at one one point he has to trap monster three times in in these um in these sort of chalky pits yeah, yeah. um but that i don't know it's it's one of those things but just that stuff being in the game makes it feel somehow magical to also, me if that was just grass or something yeah. it wouldn't yeah work. and then also the you know, right at the very end of the game with the the inception-esque folding of the the environment mm. I, I wonder yeah. if they could i mean it seems, seems wonder if they could have introduced that stuff earlier in the game when the game's only for you know three to four hours long but you know I, yeah i wonder if they could have 
played more with the environment because you you know a lot of it is push pull type puzzles uh, as you know as interesting as they they are revealed but that that end sequence where they managed to you know pretty much fold the entirety of the environment or his yeah. you know his mind at that point yeah you know, that stuff I was like wow why didn't we have more of that <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know I guess contextually I, I understand why yeah. that has to be at the very end oh yeah it's to kind of give you that wow moment at the end you know it's, it's definitely yeah. it, it builds up to that and then you're, that point happens where the yeah like you're saying the entire world shifts halfway <laughs> it just gives you that wow moment so. um, I think um, again you know to liken it to Brothers again that was something I enjoyed about both of these games which is that whether it's through development time or just um, or or the the length that they want the game to be or whether it's just intelligent economy of things so many games over the years have overused cool ideas Mm. to the point that Mm. by the end of the game you're no longer even wowed by them whereas playing through Papo and Yo again after you know a year and a half it was like oh wow it's that bit Mm. they'd all stood in my mind and that's fine you know and, and a lot of the coolest moments just happen once and they're brief but yeah, like the tower, the bendy tower of houses. <laughs> I knew, I knew, I was looking forward yeah. to that. It's like, oh, it's great. this is that yeah. bit. And then, yeah. and there's like, and it's not just the solution to the puzzle because there's like on your second playthrough, um, there's you you get to use it for another thing to collect a hat to add to your hat collection. And so it's not it's not just quite as straightforward as you know do do this puzzle and continue. There are there are other little side quests to be done and things to discover even if it's just you know some of the murals on the walls mm-hmm. and things like that yeah it's interesting to hear actually sean you say you know you found the, the world in in some respects or the visuals quite flat because i honestly didn't that didn't come across to me and i think maybe more in the favelas that that could be a complaint but certainly towards the back end of the game where it opens up and where leon mentioned about where you trap the the monster and take away his anger mm-hmm. in those sections and you have that I don't know what you would call the 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 energy tower um, where yeah, that pulsates and go. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. oh, like that. It was just I thought it was just visually stunning. It mm. may have not been the most technical. You know, they, they look at all the polygons and that, and yeah, sure, yeah. on yeah. a on a more powerful system. But uh, you know, from a from an emotional point of view, it, I mean, I think that really got its point across. Um, yeah. and, you know, muted colors. Be it, it's I've found it still you know quite you know I've I've played many a high res you know brilliant game, but it doesn't always need to be that we've we've had that mm. argument time and time again how you know yeah. games don't have to be visually splendid to really get the point across and you know that really you know that scene in particular you know it, it got me every time it still does now yeah. and yeah I think yeah, yeah you're absolutely right I was I mean I I was literally just speaking about like the like texture work and stuff like that just kind of like yeah. just a little yeah. too flat for me true. but yeah. like but I'm totally with you about how just the imagination of how everything conceptually looks is is fascinating yeah it's the art style isn't it yes yes the the important bit here it just like the whole thing to me because the the way the character feels to control we we just talk about the platforming and the when you combine the fact that the character doesn't feel quite Mm -hmm. as smooth as you want to control quite with with the tearing in the graphics Mm. with the occasional flat texture that's that's what can give a game even as, as much as I like Papo Eo overall and I got a lot from it there there is always that feeling that it's technically or something you know just like it's it's one of the it does f- 
have that feeling to me of being a little rough around the edges yeah. in places and like for me it's not nearly enough to stop no. me playing it through twice because of all the other things it, it did well but for some people it probably would, will be especially I think one of the things that I mean it's not super relevant and it's not a big problem because of the lack of peril but the the platforming feels well off yeah. I would Definitely. say compared to best in breed mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. there are platforming sections where you're jumping from cube to cube generally the the things that you're jumping to are fairly large and he's got he, he hasn't got like horrible momentum on him or anything like that so he doesn't tend to bowl off it's quite wooden um, it's just yeah you don't it, seem to it, bend yeah it's just it feels a bit mechanical yeah. and the, there's always a pause after you press the button and actually you have to use that pause to jump mm. some of the wider gaps because you press the button before he leaves the platform and then he actually jumps the animation starts when he's kind of in midair yeah. um, and it's all that sort yeah, of thing and then there are a couple of bits where you are jumping onto small flat floating bits of corrugated metal and it, it doesn't it doesn't yeah it's no well, at, at time it's yeah. almost <laughs> like they introduced Luma as an aspect just purely so you'd have a bit more of a floaty Control, control yeah. to get over to you know it's, it's not as precise yeah <laughs> terrible way so to yes look at Lula, it, we should we should explain but yeah lula is is uh is a rocket you know becomes a rocket pack which gives you um a, a greater jumping distance and um and okay, a nice uh, cushioned yeah. touchdown but also that's another thing that kind of shows up when you've got lula on and you still cut it's one of those games where Again, for presumably for reasons of budget and development, there's lots of parts of the world that you just can't interact mm. with. Even though you, you know, if this was a fully fleshed out world, you would be able to jump from this roof to the other roof, even if that area of the level is irrelevant mm. to your progression. But it's one of those games where a, a thing that's just an inch too high, you can't walk on, or just like you'll be walking on some rocks, and then the next rock is there's an invisible mm. wall between you and a rock, and it's all those things which, again, not game breaking for me in, in by any stretch, but just to lend a sense of slightly, yeah, less than you know stellar production values or mm-hmm. whatever. Yes, I certainly found a few times uh, where you're you're. It's difficult to judge distance when you're jumping. Sometimes I didn't think I would need yeah, to use, shadow use Lula's yeah. ability, but it turned out I did, or I'd end up overshooting yeah. because I had used. And yeah. 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 So, I mean, rather crudely, when the, when 3D platformers first came about, there would be a, a shadow there, so you could see when you were over the object you were landing on. <laughs> um, and it's now much mm. more subtle. Now you don't even really think about it. You, you get a much better sense of of depth and yeah. distance um, just because that's been iterated over for a while um, but here it just felt like it had stepped back maybe a, a few years and uh, I think that's just yeah it's an issue of, of resources and and time uh, well time being a resource I suppose so it's a, it's a resource issue but yeah it's certainly and, and even just something like the, the running animation uh, it, it's very mm. slidey and floaty and, and sometimes mm. you clip through the environment as you, you turn a corner and stuff and yeah. Um, so it never the platform some poor platforming or what I perceive to be mm. janky platforming or whatever in a game can actually stop me playing a lot of games. Be- you know if it yeah. if it's the cause of uh, death or frust- you know frustration having to replay areas lengthy bits I will give up on games like that. But this never even came close. Even though it didn't feel great, it was good enough mm. and it never asked you to do anything that was so exacting so precise that you know and you knew you were going to you were going to make progress even if you fell off once or twice you were you yeah. yeah one thing i do think uh, was of in, inordinately high uh, standard i mean it, this is obviously a matter of taste but 
I thought the soundtrack was absolutely yes. stunning. Uh, so this is Brian D'Olivera. Um, this was his first video game, I believe. Um, he'd done some TV and... Oh, he has done some TV and uh, short movies. Since Papo Iyo, he uh, co-composed Tearaway right. huh, on the Vita. Wow. Yeah. Um, but the music in this, not only is it, it feels beautifully authentic to the setting, um, and it has, uh, it has a dreamlike quality when it needs to, but I love the way that... Um, <coughs> It builds as you're solving puzzles, so mm-hmm. layers of the music come in yeah. quite so, quite obviously, but also not heavy-handedly um, as you move towards getting the goal. Um, and uh, yeah, just you know, on a, on a on a musical level, I just found it very pleasing. Um, and the end song is a real tearjerker. Yeah, I think definitely. it's absolutely gorgeous. So, so here's the ultimate test since we have him on the show, yeah. James. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the soundtrack? I, I really enjoyed it. It's it's not one that I'd be able to recall off the top of my head, um, oh. uh, but I remember enjoying. And, and as as Leon said, through each of the the subsections of each of the acts, it, it builds to to not a crescendo by any stretch, but it, it builds and it, it feeds into um, this the whole notion of of your step by step solving a puzzle and mm. getting to where you need to get to. Um, and yeah, it's it, it's not one that stuck with me in my memory. But when I, I fired the game up today, it certainly I, I, all the sounds. Actually, a, a lot of the sounds. Um, you know, even just uh, the voice acting of, of Kiko when he's mm-hmm. he's calling to Lula. Um, Lula. Yeah, very pleasing. Got, got a, quite a lilt, quite a um, that kind of um, mm-hmm. musical style to it, which is very good. I, I always judge a game's music on how I would look at the game if the music wasn't in there. You know, quite often you could. You know, think what well, the gameplay would outshine the music, and it's just a, a sub, you know, just something to to have in the background, so you're mm. not just playing a, a silent screen. Mm. Um, and this one, I yeah, I think it's absolutely key. Um, take the music out of this game, and I I think it would be a, a very different experience. Uh, and I think that's key. I mean, at, at times I would even say that the music is almost therapeutic, which is very odd. Um, doesn't normally come across with games, but you know, I, I think to me personally, it goes right up there with with the likes of Journey. Um, you know, it's, I think it's just it's it's a key element of the game. Um, mm-hmm. Not one necessarily. I'm not sure it's one that I I would want to listen to outside of that because it's very much mm-hmm. it, it goes hand in hand. But um, actually, when I'm in the world, I mean, like say the second playthrough, I was like, yeah, this this is exactly what I remember from this, and, it, and it's fantastic. I'm pretty sure I would actually, and 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 it is available on yeah. on Steam, possibly to download somebody elsewhere. Somebody should give me it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, we must move along, really, uh, towards that conclusion. Um, we've already talked about uh, how Lula gets smashed at one point by uh, by Monster. Um, Alejandro has already told uh, Kiko that he needs to get to speak to uh, a shaman who uh, who will tell him tell Kiko how he can cure Monster. Um, this there's this. Uh, Junction where uh, Lula is fixed and involve, involving this sort of boss fight, such as it is with with Monster. Um, the next phase is where Monster, as we've already revealed, uh, catches and eats Alejandra, leaving yeah. Kiko and Lula alone. Um, and then this is where, soon after this, it's the, this cable car ride, yeah. as such as it is, um, which contains the third, I think, the final sort of sepia-toned real world 
flash flashback. I don't know if that's right, but um, yeah, yeah, yeyeah, he has to leave Lula behind. Uh, because Lula creates the the winch for the cable car. Obviously, the metaphor is for you know, as as I think A. A. Milne would have it, putting childish things away and yeah. um, having to grow up and and uh, deal with things yourself. Um, and as the the house very slowly ascends um, towards well, the clouds. Where is it? The yes, clouds, I suppose. Yeah. 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 Um, it uh, it once again changes into a sort of uh, almost black and white or sepia, um, and it's simply Kiko there in in the yard of of the house um, behind his dad, who is now in in human form, and you can just see him sitting there. Um, yeah. Now, one of our correspondents, we'll, who we'll get onto, um, felt that this this section was just long for the sake of long and added nothing, but I I I, I found it. Um, much needed pause for reflection yeah. although uh, I didn't you know didn't know the first time what was coming next but uh, the only slight difficulty I had and, and it happened again today when I was playing through it is <laughs> w- when you get up to that cable car uh, a fence slides in behind you and it very particularly right. a set monster sitting one side of a fence and you're fenced in in, in a yard exactly yeah. as you say and um, unfortunately the uh, device that you have to throw Lula to um, mm. Does not appear. Certainly for me, I don't know if this is a common. Uh, it takes a while. It, it doesn't appear at all. Oh, right. <laughs> I have to quit out, and and continuing the game doesn't work either. I've got to reload that. Unfortunately, it's right at the the boundary of of oh. of the next part of of Act Five. Another wee bug. So I have to yeah. go down to uh, to slow realization as the second uh, section of Act Five. Click on that, and sure enough, it's right yeah. there, floating in, in. Same. I couldn't remember what to do at that yeah. point. How do I? Yeah. I was actually trying to observe if the if the house was ascending on yeah. its own, yeah. and I'd forgotten yeah, that this mechanic. We we haven't mentioned that Lula is uh, is a kind of remote button pusher, yeah. um, and solves puzzles as well as being a rocket pack and a, and a and a great friend. Um, but yes, this this particular button kind of um, takes a while to appear, and then uh, and then you have to. Or, or doesn't at all, um, or, and then you have to line it up just right I, for the, to get the next. I've, I've seen a, a few comments out there about people saying that um, I mentioned at the very start where they feel like maybe that scene is just a bit too heavy-handed. Like it, mm-hmm. it's it's been fairly obvious who the person whether they state it who is at the very start. Well, we but, knew, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's whether you really needed to see the image of your father at that point, and why not just have it mm. as the monster going to the top, and then the statues as they are reveal. Pretty much, you know, the, the scenes which you know have taken you through this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I found it was interesting just to see that you know the figure of your father being being shown for the first time after being hidden away. And yeah. you know, for me, I I thought it was quite impactful. And not that I I don't really understand what they're saying because I I, I kind of do. I, I think you know the game could have quite easily have not gone quite as as tonally that way. But you know, it's to like, to me it, it was just interesting to see the actual embodiment of what had been the challenge to the player or you know the him himself yeah. who's been making this I think for me it, it was an it was a nice reminder that this isn't a fantasy out mm. of context this is a yeah. fantasy that that Kiko in, in this case uh, is layering over the top of his own life he's layering over the top of what has happened you know when he paints that chalk door at the very beginning Maybe that's actually him just coming out of the the cupboard the only way he actually can through the the front door. Um, mm. 
and from then on he's just layering this fantasy world over the top of his life so when he stands there with with monster the other side of a fence that's what he's putting over it that's the veneer he's putting over what's actually happening and so to peel that that away and to see that is just a a a reminder that it's not just a fantasy that's a metaphor he's actually creating this world over the top of the one that he's experiencing Mm -hmm. in order to um to explain to himself and to try and make himself feel like he's got hope that he does have the possibility of finding this shame and finding this solution to mm-hmm. the problem that is that his father is having and therefore the rest of the, the family have um, which I think makes the ending more, more exactly, powerful at well, this yeah, point because it's, it's a nice reminder that his father is there and he's trying to cure his father not just find the shaman for the monster I know that's kind of obvious but it, it just was a nice Once visual again, reminder the, for me I thought. the ascending is I mean the ascending is always you, you can look at that from in many angles and I always think it is that he's on top of his feelings at that point you know, he's, he's rised above yeah. the fantasy mm-hmm. element and you know he's having to confront everything because he's ascended through him yeah it's also enlightenment and that kind of thing as well mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. exactly they're very spiritual as well always at that point yeah yeah, yeah. And um, at the top of this uh, ride, this is where the shaman was supposed to be. Um, and oddly, the shaman is there, but isn't in that uh, the shaman talks to Kiko, but says, I'm not really a shaman. <laughs> <laughs> and there is no cure um, for Monster. You have to let him go. That's what he says. Um, that uh, the area is... Um, surrounded by four uh, statues of events that we've seen through the game and you simply um, reveal the real life events that was that was that sparked these bits of imagination so we actually see um, the real dad in statue form grabbing at the sister and we see him drinking and we see him uh, attacking Kiko with his belt and Mm. and this this type of stuff um, and yeah, I could I can see how some people again may say unnecessary or heavy-handed. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that bit. I guess I don't feel it was entirely necessary. Um, but well, okay, I don't feel it was entirely necessary for me. But if it was entirely necessary for the author of the game, mm-hmm. then yeah. I absolutely think it should be in there. For me, I agree. I think maybe the statues are a little too much. But what he says there about how. Um, there is no cure and you have to let go mm. like yeah. that mm. for me um, is why I wanted to be on this podcast and talk about it because uh, I am the kind of person who is like a fixer like if I know someone who has a problem like I need to know how to fix it mm. you know <clears throat> and yeah. yeah while I did have a good uh, upbringing I am currently estranged with my father um, he kind of mm. disappeared halfway through uh, yeah. my growing up and um, the idea I, I never even thought of the idea of just like maybe I can't fix it you know maybe maybe mm. there is no cure to this and that will like just always stick with me so um, mm. you know when that happened like all the other stuff was going on that, that I could tell thinking back on it like yeah maybe that was a little too much but I was still just kind of reeling back from that uh, revelation there, so really powerful yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm probably you know similar, but less less fresh for me is um, as I say. I, my my father basically excommunicated me when I was 14 years mm. old, um, having separated from my mother. Well, my mother separated from him when because of his uh, papo type 
tendencies mm. uh, as I say not not physical but uh, alcoholic and uh, difficult um, so I'd spent the next um, 10 11 years visiting him in the holidays mm-hmm. but then suddenly he decided at age age 14 that I was too complicated and difficult and you know he didn't want anything to do with me anymore mm. and um, and yeah I think you know a lot of the issues I've had in my life with depression and alcoholism and things like that are, are probably to do with both him genetically and to do with mm-hmm. those that thing that happened to me and I've had no contact with him really or I, I'd had no contact with him really for for 20 something years until he actually tweeted me <laughs> um, wow. like a couple of years ago <laughs> asking me uh, something um and uh, I did. I did one tweet back, and he he sent me a yeah. He sent me a DM saying, you know, get in contact. But I but I haven't, and and I think that's partly because um, because I've n- I've not for a long time I've not had a desire to do the big reconciliation mm-hmm. thing because because exactly as the shaman said, you know, you can't cure someone like yeah. that, and you know he he the fact that he did the things he did hasn't changed now you know maybe maybe i should meet him again and find out that he's changed and all that sort of thing i don't know but mm-hmm. um but totally that concept of letting somebody and obviously in this case my father um go from my life uh hap- is something that had already happened to me mm-hmm. and so that that situation of that <laughs> i don't know if you can call it a final boss fight or whatever <laughs> um uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about those mechanics, but the actual act of that you finally and very quietly just yeah. dump your dad off into the abyss and he just sort of floats into the clouds is just, yeah, it's like there's something about that moment, the way they didn't make it a, you know, a typical, you know, find the weak spot and <laughs> hack him to death yeah. or anything. And there's no there's no suggestion that Van der Caballero killed his father, by no. the way. This is a metaphorical <laughs> setting. You know, this yeah. is... This is a letting go. This is an emotional. You're you're not a good influence in my life. I'm going to have to move on from right, this, yeah. to move on as a person, and that's I think that's why. It's interesting. Um, minority media, uh, and I have no problem with people doing this, and we do it on Kane and Rince. They retweet every bit of praise mm-hmm. they get for that game, and I and and I know some people think that's an enormous, you know, arrogant faux pas to make on social media, but. I think it's lovely to see all these people who have been touched by this game yeah. and they and they share it and they you know and I, I realize it's you know for advertising purposes but I also suspect that it's Caballero thinking yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> I made this thing and may you know um like like his sister said you know if if anyone else gets something out of this game that can help them deal with a situation a similar or or just you know, a situation. Yes. All of us have got a, any situation. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I yeah. find fascinating then is that there isn't more games out there that tackle these kinds of subjects, and and maybe what that's what makes this one particularly powerful. And and I can only think that's down to the medium that takes so long and costs so much. Mm-hmm. I, you know, yeah. there's there's literally thousands of films which you know challenge mm. this this particular subject. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and because you know, not films aren't cheap to make, but ideas are very easy to put together and then get onto screen, and um, you, you don't have to worry about gameplay concessions and stuff. And I think games have made a, a huge step in, in the right directions of how to to handle a subject like this. Because you know, Papa and Yo is a prime example of that. But I just mm. think once again that the boardroom, the amount of money, you know, 
this had to be funded by different organisations, and that's clear to see. Just to just to even to get out to the general public, and I just think the way games are set up now to make a project, because you know, although it's it's technically at times not fantastic, um, it's still I, I still feel like it's a bigger budget game than your average indie game. Like its its 3D yeah. world is is quite compelling. Mm. You, know, a lot of, you know, visually it, it obviously took a lot of time and a lot of money to to get this stuff together. So I think as a medium, it, I just don't think we're 100% always set up to tackle stuff like this. And, you know, it's how many people buy it, stuff like that. And it, it does have a consideration. But what I do want to say is, that although I don't have that touchstone with my father, interested in playing this game the first time around, I, I kind of had just had kids or just hadn't had quite had them yet. Um, mm. And, you know, a lot of that stuff I was looking at, obviously, isn't father, blah, blah, blah. Now that I am mm. a father and playing it seventeen months down the line, um, and you know, and thinking about somebody that would do this to their children, like yeah. it, I know it sounds really weird, but that had a, as much impact as me seeing that end and seeing what he had done to his mm. child, and thinking, God, yeah. how could you even possibly dare? Like I'm almost welling up now thinking about, you know, why somebody would do that to, to yeah. somebody so innocent and young. So, you know, yeah. equally, I think there's there's other ways you can view this. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it definitely works. That yeah, way. The, the 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 message is universal. You know, it's not. It's. I mean, this is very specifically about like an alcoholic father, but the idea of of, of taking innocence away. Yeah, yeah taking innocence away and, and and letting go of people who are like Leon said earlier have a bad influence on you. Like that could be anybody. It could be a best friend or you know a relative or anybody a work partner or, or it doesn't you know, even have to be a person either mm, it can sure, be something yeah, in your yeah, life totally. that is yeah, destructive yeah. definitely within yourself even and yeah. there's one of the murals on the wall i noticed is like um a puppeteer holding a puppet holding a puppet yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and i didn't I, I wondered if that was i mean um it's common uh, among uh, abusers to have been abused themselves sure. everybody yeah. knows that now, Vander Caballero uh, has a two-year-old child who I'm absolutely sure he doesn't <laughs> abuse, of course. But I wondered if I wondered if that was um, that particular piece of uh, street art was aimed at that that idea and how you know just just a visualization of how you you know your your poor behaviour can be carried down you know through literally through generations and be passed on well, and that's um, why the letting go is important because that's the symbolic cutting of the strings isn't yeah, it and, and yeah. the, exactly. the hope is yeah. there that then th- that that breaks that cycle that chain so um, yeah. I, I found it very interesting I mean we've talked about this before particularly in reference to, to Bioshock 2 um, Mm. But I, I found it very interesting listening to uh, Leon, you and Tony talk on the Brothers Show because obviously we, we, you, you talked about Tony on Bioshock Two, the the um, father daughter relationship being very important to you, and Leon, you'd said that um, it maybe didn't mean as much to you because you, you don't have a child, and 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 on the Brothers Show uh, you were talking about the fact that uh, you know it might make a difference if you have siblings. Um, yeah. Mm. I, I'm in the strange situation where I, well, it's, strange, it's not a strange situation to not be a father. That's a perfectly reasonable situation. But <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, 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 I'm not a father. So in theory, Bioshock Two shouldn't resonate with me. Um, and I, 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 I do have siblings, so brothers should have hit me hardest of all of these three games that I've just mentioned. And, right. and, and this one, 
I, I have a great relationship with my father. I always have uh, very few, uh, none, no issues I can think between us at all. Um, cool. And, and despite the fact that on the Borderlands show we talked about, uh, you know, Leon, you and I, our, our proclivities and, and fears over uh, compulsive behaviours and whether that can breed addiction and, and the mechanics in that mm. game. And this game is obviously all about addiction and addictive behaviour mm. in terms of not necessarily mechanics but narrative and, and themes. And uh, and I recognise that I have certain tendencies in myself, but I've never been, uh, been uh, an addict in any serious way, not in any way that would be medically mm. recognised anyway. Um, so... Yeah. In theory, this game shouldn't necessarily hit me as hard because the, mm. the events that are happening in in Kiko's life aren't events that I have touchstones for. But this hit me harder than Brothers, which is a game that I should be able to relate to having, uh, well, in my case, younger mm. siblings. But there's more to it than that. There definitely there. It's is. Not just, I, I, it's it's so, not just em- direct empathy. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think it is worth saying that that um, you know, for, for you, this game hit you. I think you, you would say harder than than Brothers did, and 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 Bioshock Two. I know you said versus versus Tony's reaction to it, that that yeah. tie wasn't there for you. But there definitely is something uh, more, and I think in in this game it emotionally did did more for me than than those other games did um it, it can just be in the telling yeah. and, and yeah. Uh, yeah 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 definitely rather than the, the subject um, matter definitely yeah um very briefly on the mechanics of the final showdown mm. such as it is um it's it's an odd section i think um i, I don't think it although the the final moments work um i think the the build up is is odd so you're actually separated from monster i mean it's it's basically unfailable this um section um you start off by uh getting him drunk deliberately um these are no longer frogs well they're not when you insert them into the world these are bottles clearly bottles of jack daniels um which you uh feed to him um and as he consumes them the area is in becomes more and more you know fiery and um, destroyed. Uh, I can't. Ex- I can't remember exactly. How does he get into the next section? Um, I think part of the world, like he, you, you pull a switch and it just kind of sho- he falls asleep and it shoves him down he, to the next level. You get yeah. that's right. You you shove him yeah. off, yeah, onto the next stage, which is where um, you quite oddly sort of um, throw effigies <laughs> of Alejandra. Uh, into this area and eventually you realise that um, you need to drop her on this particular bit to lure the now enraged monster into the next section Um, and then finally I think I assume at that point he must find a a blue one of the the, Mm. like hangover cures or whatever um, because then he he just lays down on this um, this sort of flat like um, pallet centipede bed that you've seen a couple of times throughout the game and that's when you simply complete the game by uh, dropping him off um, but it, it yeah it's kind of weird I, I think that that bit the bit with the with Alejandra figurines doesn't quite sit yeah, right yeah, for me too. it seems yeah. it seems a bit odd um, it, I, it, either it's a it's a bit heavy handed or it's a bit just kind of doesn't I don't really understand exactly what's being mm-hmm. said I'm not if it if it's a a direct um representation of what Kiko had to do then in theory mm. what that's saying is he got his father drunk 
um, and, mm. and then tempted him with what he knows sets off his his rage in order to yeah. in order to to uh, manipulate a situation, um, architect a situation if you like, where he could yeah. then let go of his father. Um, mm. I, I can't imagine it's that direct because you no. know I, I think it's got to be um, a, more a representation of just a, a catharsis. Um, yeah. on behalf of both characters actually um, yeah, and a representation of what makes them different from one another um, by, by by showing the father the monster's compulsion uh, that when when presented he will just you know drink alcohol uh, you know to, to such extent uh, and will then you know irrespective of, of logic will, will lash out at those around him uh, mm. Equally, uh, to to an equally great extent, and then that that shows the difference between those two characters. I think it's just odd that you have Kiko being the one who is, who is, if you like, almost doing those things to Monster at that stage. I think that's quite a strange thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I don't know. I mean, as much as I loved the final moment, yeah. the the just those two sections that led up to it, I felt could have been different somehow. Yeah. That more more effective and more affecting now I'm not saying I could have come up with anything better because I probably couldn't but um, I don't know There was there's just something not, not quite, quite yeah. sitting yeah. right in my head those it's, it's a good thing that the, le- the last thing is so impactful because it kind of makes up for yeah. those two yeah. moments but definitely yeah. agreed yeah. yeah but as I say at least they didn't go down the route of video games you know happy ending yeah. <laughs> Or a happy ending, yeah. Well, it's yeah. kind of happy. Well, sort of. I mean, yeah. and, and there yeah. is one. There is one more section to where you walk uh, up mm. a, a newly formed pathway and back in into the closet. Mm. So that kind of goes full circle. But the point is that you've left your need for that figure in your life Bad behind, right. and yeah, allows you to make the emotional break. Mm. Now, uh, hats. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, in, I mean that is kind of that laugh is uh, actually relevant. It is a weird thing. This game to this this is a video gamey thing to give this game replay value. Uh, there are twenty five hats that you can't collect on your first playthrough, but you can see where some of them. Well, you can see where any of them may be if you go to the right places on little sort of straw dolls. Yeah. Um, but there are a number of comedy head gears to wear, from a tiara to a fish to a football. <laughs> Um, a top hat um, that you can wear throughout the game. Um, there's there's an, a trophy, or it's probably a Steam achievement for finding them all. Um, and you know, because I was playing it through on the same save, I did you know I did go out my way, and it did help. You know, it did make me explore some of the levels a bit more and do a few extra jumps and stuff. But just a really weird. Mm, yeah. um, I quite I quite like the juxtaposition between the seriousness and yeah. the tone of the <laughs> the message yeah. with the fact that I was wearing a um, yeah like a. Um, a Dr. Seuss hat or something like that. So we've had uh, a small handful of, as usual, excellent correspondence from the forum. And starting with uh, faithful contributor Derek Ritchie, who says, Papo Eo is a title whose striking visual identity and metaphorical aspirations covers a game that I found simply average to play, and at times a little bit annoying. While I applaud the creator's intent in a lot of ways, the core aspect of playing this game left me feeling merely whelmed at what unfolded. 
Pushing creators to try and find new ways to explain feelings and themes is something that should always be promoted and acknowledged, but the metaphorical behaviour of the monster relating to the alcoholism of the creator's father felt undercut by how much it simply failed to make a tangible difference in the gameplay. Once you knew how to avoid and use the monster, it became just another tool, rendered inert because of its gaminess as I moved around the environment, jumping from platform to platform, figuring out where to go. The process changed from what should have been an emotional journey to mechanical navigation from point A to point B, which all leads to an undercutting of the overall message to the point where I appreciated he went through a horrible time, but never had that sense of understanding. I felt more like the observer in a situation rather than an empathetic, involved person. And that point A to point B is something I found to be functional but not satisfying. It did the job as well as it needed to but never anything more than that. And while that was maybe the point, it still made the journey a bit more work and a bit less play. It did look very special though, the deformation of the environments and manipulation of buildings being a highlight with a simple but effectively atmospheric colour palette. The building blocks are there for something greater. As a first step, it's a good attempt, but to truly succeed, it needed to find a way to push itself out of the standard confines of gameplay that we're all used to. Yeah, interesting. I I think for me, uh, I I was fairly constantly analysing the changing relationship between Kiko and and Monster throughout the game, Mm. and that kind of kept me invested in what Monster was doing, even though... I mean, he's right we mentioned that the threat from monster once you realize it is actually mechanically very little uh, it becomes mm. about the emotional uh, situation and understanding Aye. that maybe there is more of a threat there graham strachan says papo eo is for me one of the most divisive experiences i've had with a recent game while parts of it enthralled me there were moments where the game seemed so facile that i wanted to facepalm I enjoyed the experience, but the potential here ended up being squandered by it trying too hard to be clever and at the same time accessible to all. It was one of the most fascinating games I'd been looking forward to 2012. The early screenshots and trailers have made the game seem quaint, whimsical and terrifying, a combination of which I've always loved. It was a shame that the game shoots itself in the foot before it's even begun. What I mean by this is that the game is so concerned with making sure the player identifies with the metaphor that it gives it away in an opening title. Considering the richness of the design and the thought which had gone into the experience, the metaphor of Monster being the alcoholic father should have been abundantly clear to anyone with an ounce of thought. So, instead of a building sense of understanding, the game shows its cards from the offset. The metaphor was stretched further with a few hard cuts to slow-motion Kiko in the real world, running along rain-soaked nighttime streets, which never came together thematically and feel like an abandoned substrata of the game design. Worse still, the overall pacing felt somewhat shonky with the protracted no-user-input cable car ride at the latter stage of the game, which added nothing of note to the proceedings but minutes. That's not to say that the game wasn't good. The design and the mechanics of the game were sublime. The chalk puzzles and movable shanty houses in the slums made for some brilliantly memorable gameplay moments, and the coaxing of Monster from one place to another in both his relaxed and infuriated states provided a puzzle element which was very entertaining. While the soundtrack is simply amazing and the art style and the art direction both shine. An Inception style folded city being one such moment, or the time when Kiko has to run on the spot to turn a cog, while behind him the cast shadow of a monster shaped statue be- appears to be chasing him, sticking a memory as wholly iconic and cleverly conceived. The problem with Papo Eo is that trying so hard to be meaningful and important it gets lost in its own navel gazing, and while it evidently is a personal story with a lot of depth of feeling in its creation, it could have been so much more. Yeah, obviously um, Graham didn't like any of the uh, flashback or sepia sequences, um, but I think there was a point certainly to the the two, the earlier two that show 
the accident and I think in at least one of the interviews he does identify that as a catalyst for his father's yeah. rages yeah. whether he was uh, drunk drunk at the wheel or whether he or took whether to drinking was, yeah, as a coping um, mechanism, yeah. is unclear but it's all almost it's certainly an important mm-hmm. event um, yeah. and I think that yeah. that's kind of telling I think that you know I've wondered whether or not the the um, the dedication at the beginning uh, and the fact that they were so open and so out there explaining before the game even came out what the game represented I do wonder if that wasn't uh, sort of one part necessary for for um, the designer himself uh, maybe Vander felt that it was necessary to, to be open and honest about that rather than trying to put it as a metaphor to, to leave for the player to, de- to dis- uh, discover um, I wonder if the second thing isn't that actually it's more to sh- to show other game developers beca- because uh, it seems like from from interviews, Vander very much wanted to step away from uh, AAA games that he'd be making at, at EA and towards something more personal. And by making it so obviously and overtly personal, it shows other people who are in the situation he was that they can make personal games. So I wonder if that isn't actually more for other developers as a a sign that that's possible that you can do that uh, by being uh, and and he's he's therefore being even more obvious with it just to to make make the case maybe finally uh correspondence wise uh, it's our brazilian correspondent Tadinho he says this is a very interesting game to play it's not amazing by any standards but it's a very unique to me for two main reasons one being the subject matter, of course. We don't have many games that deal with the personal struggle, struggles of their developers. And when we do, they're normally very indie games with almost no visibility. The fact that even with its clear budget limitations, this game exists is really amazing. And whatever your criticisms of the story, the ending will still get to you. The second reason is a little harder to explain, but this game feels like it was made in South America. Everything in it screams that, from the music to the art style and even down to the gameplay. I know the team is from Canada. From what I gathered, the author is uh, the creator is from Venezuela. As I say, I think we've established that he's Colombian, but so that clearly played a role in it. If the game offers a South American view of South America, unlike something like Max Payne, yeah, that's another game with favelas, and he's right actually, Max Payne three, yeah. uh, in which you shoot, <laughs> and that's just an American view of Sao Paulo, for example, and that's really refreshing to me, and it's always the first thing that I remember when I'm thinking about it. Now, I could go on about how I think the game should have been longer, how it could have benefited from being a little bit more subtle, how its mechanics aren't that tight, but I'm not going to. The game's flaws are apparent and are likely caused by small budget and time constraints. It's a good game, not a great one, but more than that, I think it's an important game, and for that, you should play it. Yeah. Thank you, Tordino. Three-word reviews this week. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, first of all, the reviewist says, tries too hard. Darcy Jabby says, deeply moving experience. Ben Ford says, unique emotional puzzler. Okay, to briefly summarise, as we have run long on this short game once again, isn't that interesting how it happens? Um, recommended or not, and take away from the Papo EO experience, Tony. Uh, I, I feel like we are Minority Media's direct kind of crowd for this game. Um, having done a, a looking at some of the, the reviews out there, and, and there is some pretty scathing reviews actually out there I think IGN's one of was it 2.5 or something is ridiculous um, and I, I think a lot of people kind of 
focus on the technical aspects more than the um, the story, and I think that's a problem because I, I think the technical aspects, although I wasn't plagued by the number of bugs that many people have reported, um, they are there and the the platform is a little wonky and all that stuff we've talked about. But I, I think the story itself is deeply moving and. I feel you know we've we've covered a lot of games on Kane and Rinse that have very good stories, um, but I can't really think of one that has a story similar to this. And how many games I've played in the past, and how many I could actually say a, a story I think that got to me in in some respects. And you know, I I generally like the gameplay of this. I think it offers enough to keep me entertained whilst following the journey. Now I didn't have touchstones to what the story was telling me but I could relate to it in other aspects and um, yeah I, I really loved it I, I, um, yeah I, I don't really know how to explain it but it, it certainly it, it, it got to me at the end where I had to take a bit of a break and, and think about it like you know it's one of those games where you, you know you take a bit of time out and think about what it was trying to say and how it all panned out and it's one of the ones where I played with my wife and you know we had a good conversation about what it all meant and, mm. and stuff like that and I, that's a things games should be aspiring to more often and for that you know I applaud it I think it was therapeutic um really interesting brave in, in many respects so you know fantastic fantastic job to them i don't i think there should be more people shouting about this game that seems to be you know middling reviews but hey what do we know yeah i mean i, th- I haven't looked too deeply into the reviews i mean i know the meta score and the, the game ranking scores are around the 70s for both versions um but that includes quite a lot yeah. of positive reviews and and a few quite harshly negative ones but certainly it wasn't a panning overall like you know from all the critics um, far from it um had some very high reviews as well for me uh it's a beautiful and precious thing papo Iyo. um it's certainly not the most polished game I've ever played. It's a little rough around the edges. It's a bit janky. It's a bit flawed. There are some sections which don't really work for me even. Um, but it more than makes up for that with its intent, its atmosphere, its soundtrack, its stunning sequences, even if like visually it's not you know the most... It's not like a tour de force. It's the ideas, the mm-hmm. visual ideas that... With the, the where bits of the land are carved open and become sort of curly tendrils of grass, or um, where entire bits of favela are twisted over on themselves, or all this stuff, um, and the concept behind that, the idea that Pan's Labyrinth, and, and as James rightly pointed out, the more ancient idea of drawings coming to life or creating a portal between real and fantasy with chalk just massively appeals to me combine that with the fact that the story does resonate with me on some level um and uh and yeah i just think it's a it's a wonderful thing even though you know there is part of me that part that appreciates um you know the kind of utterly refined gaming of other puzzle platform adventures um that is, there is that sort of feeling like, oh, wouldn't it be nicer if if he handled a bit better, if those jumps were a bit more secure, if if uh, if the rocket pack felt a bit better to use, and all that sort of further, stuff. It, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, the invisible walls weren't there, and all that sort of thing. Um, but in the end, the 
everything else even if you know even if the metaphor you know some people might say it is too obvious and too heavy-handed and and whatever i don't think that's really the point it's telling this guy's story in the way that he wanted to tell it and um either you'll be on board with that or you won't and i very much am and and um i hope that the fact that we had so little correspondence isn't a reflection that hardly anyone's played it and it was just one of those things but um anyone who is listening who hasn't played it i would urge you to at least check it out it won't take very much of your time and even if you don't end up liking it it's not like you've had to you know throw away 30 50 hours trying to find that out so uh i can't wait to see his next game yeah james yes yeah, it's, it's strange not that long ago i would have considered myself someone who would look past uh badly implemented or very dull mechanics for the sake of a game that told a good story or uh or was narratively interesting to me and over the past couple of years that's changed quite a bit i think i do value interesting and and well uh implemented mechanics but this this game it does have flaws, and some reviews did pick up on them. Um, and and if if the mechanical slight frailties or or the perhaps slightly uh, the lack of challenge uh, was distracting or or did impair the uh, the the enjoyment of of the game for some people, then obviously that is is as they found it. But for me, the fact that the game is relatively short, the fact that the jumping isn't terribly satisfying, I don't think. I know those are truths. Uh, I, I know that I, I felt that to a certain extent, but not at any stage did I feel like it was lessening my enjoyment of the game. Uh, there was a sense of wonder uh, throughout the aesthetic, throughout the narrative, um, and with what the game was trying to say uh, and trying to represent that I, that I just found uh, different and, and unique. And uh, I've gone on at, at length about some um, some quite different games from Tale of Tales or, or you know things like Dear Esther and that sort of thing and this is very much in that ballpark for me this is a game that's doing something that I haven't seen in many places before certainly in video games um, uh, and uh, and even really in, in films necessarily I think to say that the metaphors here are heavy handed is, is true but if I try and think of, of, of films other than Pan's Labyrinth that have done this it's often very uh, very realistic drama that covers this kind of of content and this kind of story Mm. and that's a very different tone a very different way of handling it um pan's labyrinth is one of my favorite films uh you know Mm. i've ever seen it it's it's wonderful it's a masterpiece and it's very well done (laughs) and i think this game i I can't say it's uh it's necessarily on a par with something like pan's labyrinth but it's reaching for that and i think it's done a a darned good job of of bringing something different uh to to the uh to the uh to the plate as it were uh i I enjoyed it i i think it's it's incredibly interesting and and worth a look for anyone who's who's interested in seeing what sort of different games can be made thank you james let us conclude with sean for me i'm like of two minds kind of similar to how you guys were saying how like if i look at it as simply just a game um, I don't know if I would even say it's necessarily like a good one. Like I, I, I think the mm. it's it's super buggy. Um, it's I don't personally think that the visuals are that are well done. Um, aside from the imagination, and um, but what? But at the same time, 
this is a very important game for me because of how I was saying earlier about that one, just that one line about how you have to let mm. go. Like, um, last year I had to do that very same thing with a, a, a friend of mine who, uh, was on drugs and, um, he was still in contact with me and I, um, eventually I had to just stop responding to him. And, uh, unfortunately he's no longer here. Um, but mm. this game with that, line like made me realize that you have to sometimes sometimes you have to help people right and 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 other times if they're not looking out for you you have to kind of put your mental health first um and i can't say that about any other game uh that i've ever played that has something that a game has taught me something um and uh, for me, even even with all the technical problems that I see in it, um, it's always going to be special to me. And I think uh, everyone should give it a chance. Um, there's definitely something I think anyone can relate to in there. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a it's a beautiful thing. Wonderful words. Thank you. Uh, right. Yes, I think we all agree that it transcends. Uh, its shortcomings. Okay, uh, it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Tony, James, and Sean, and to tell you that next time in issue 125, you must join us for interstellar adventure as we journey to the Super Mario Galaxy. <laughs> Until then. Oh, no.